Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore. Each week we invite a special guest to discuss a certain metaphor, mantra or a phrase with us, one that might resonate with you too. This week we feature something very emotional and I know it will get you thinking about your relationship with your mother. We need your help to find our guest's mom. You may have seen her and not realized how important your sighting might be and it doesn't matter when or where you think you might have seen her. When you listen to our guest, think about your mom and if you'd like a different or better relationship with her, your mom of course, this show might give you the push to do something about it. Don't turn away and face what our actions or non-actions can do to change lives. In today's episode, we're going to explore the origins of the metaphor blowing hot and cold. This metaphor embodies many meanings. It can talk about trickery, trust issues, but nowadays it also refers to what some of our elderly go through. Today's guest, Amanda Alexander, will talk about the complex relationship with her mother, Amanda's strength through difficult times, and her glowing love for her mom inspired us for this episode, which would not have been born without her story. So I hope you stay with us. The metaphor blowing hot and cold can be traced back to antiquity, to Aesop's fable, the man and the satyr. In ancient Greece, a satyr was a mythological creature described as a man with the ears and tail of a horse. Even though these creatures were representative of various flaws such as ugliness and perversity, they were also well known for being the only godlike creatures to fully accept their appearance and sexuality. Because of that, they detested lies and dishonesty. So make yourself a cup of tea, light up the chimney and slump into your couch. It's story time. The Man and the Seder A long time ago, a man met a satyr in the forest and succeeded in making friends with him. The two soon became the best of comrades, living together in the man's hut. But one cold winter evening, as they were walking homeward, the satyr saw the man blow on his fingers. Why do you do that? asked the satyr. To warm my hands, the man replied. When they reached home, the man prepared two bowls of porridge. These he placed steaming hot on the table, and the comrades sat down very cheerfully to enjoy the meal. But much to the satyr's surprise, the man began to blow into his bowl of porridge. Why do you do that? he asked. To cool my porridge, replied the man. The satyr sprang hurriedly to his feet and made for the door. Goodbye, he said. I've seen enough. A fellow that blows hot and cold in the same breath cannot be friends with me. The moral of the story is, the man who talks for both sides is not to be trusted by either. This fable shows that since the dawn of time, humans have always been preoccupied by who they hang out with. We can trace that to our oldest ancestors. Indeed, we've always relied on others in order to survive and to grow as a community. 
Take the Lewis and Clark expedition, the first expedition to successfully go across the United States up the Pacific coast. All the team members were codependent, and the expedition would never have been successful without everybody's skills and assets. They had navigators, sailors, trappers, a plethora of people with essential skills. But when we talk about this expedition, we can't help but think about Sacagawea's unique skills. Indeed, during the expedition, this young Shoshone girl saved the group at least twice thanks to her knowledge of the American rapids and the Shoshone language. She was, and she still is, remembered to this day as one of the cornerstones of this operation. Not much is known about Sacagawea's early childhood, but we do know that she was born in 1788 into the Agatica tribe of the Lemhi Shoshone in what is now Idaho. In 1800, when she was about 12 years old, Sacagawea and several other girls were kidnapped by a group of Hidatsu Indians. She was taken as a captive to a Hidatsu village in present-day North Dakota. Then she was sold to a French-Canadian fur trapper named Toussaint Chabonneau. Within a year or so, she was pregnant with their first child. Soon after she became pregnant, the Corps of Discovery arrived near the Hidatsu villages. Captains Meriwether Lewis and William Clark built Fort Mandan there and then started interviewing people to help guide them on their perilous expedition. They agreed to hire Sacagawea's husband, Shabonyu, with the understanding that his lovely wife would also come along as an interpreter. They figured her very presence would help any encounters with native tribes along the way. As Clark noted in his journal, a woman with a party of men is a token of peace. As humans, it's natural to be afraid of betrayal and abandonment. Those who have experienced these in their childhood might be more likely to fear loneliness and might also have more difficulty making tough decisions. Even our rituals, holy and bureaucratic, are examples of this need to stay united. An example is marriage. Whatever the culture, marriage is always a union held by oath, be it religious or not. The importance of oaths to mankind is universal. In a court, we swear on a religious text or the constitution. When we get a job, we sign a contract, which is a sort of written oath, so both parties ensure each other's loyalty. Even in underground societies and criminal conspiracies, often considered as poorly managed, an oath is mandatory for a new member. Because once you enter this family, there's no getting out. This family comes before everything else. Everything. For your wife, and your children, and your mother, and your father. It's a thing of honor. Then God forbid, if you get sick or something happens and you can't earn, we'll take care of you, because that's part of it. If you've got a problem, you just got to let somebody know. This man right here, he's like your father. It doesn't matter if it's with somebody here or on the outside. You bring it to him, he'll solve it. You stay within the family. Without exception, there is this idea, whether it is with a soulmate or a business association, to find a pack, a group where you belong. We're not only looking for someone to rely on, we're also looking for somebody who can make us stronger, happier, toward which we can turn to when we need help. They say friends are the family you choose And I never loved no one
time for our guest, Amanda Alexander, to tell us why the metaphor blowing hot and cold resonates with her life. Amanda is a TV media journalist, founder and CEO of Amanda Alexander Productions Limited, creating inspirational, factual entertainment and educational shows. But today we will not focus on all of this. Instead, we'll be talking about her daily struggles to help her lost mother. As you'll hear, her courage and love are an example for all of us. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to Metaphorically Speaking. Thank you, Delia. Thank you for having me. One of the main reasons I wanted you to be a guest on the show, apart from, of course, the wonderful things that you do with the foundation and with your religion, is the fact that you and I are going through something that is similar, which is not similar, in that we both have concerns about our mothers. They suffer from different things, but ultimately it is a feeling of, well, they're not around us. My mom has dementia. So I say, as my father always says, that my mom, you know, left us a long time ago. We're now living with the shell, the person, the body that looks like my mother, but really isn't my mother. Yours is a different uh, case, and you are now asking others to try and help you to find your mum. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing and why you're doing it? Yes, um, my own mother suffers with paranoid schizophrenia, and um, she's been suffering with that for over 40 odd years. And it's a condition where um, you you know, you're paranoid about everything. You are hypersensitive to things that are not real. Um, you accuse people. There's a lot of mistreatment. So in a way, like your mother, my mother went a long time ago. My mother went when I was a child. And so I had a mother that was very loving, very kind. But in the next breath, she could switch. And we would we were really mistreated badly, my two brothers and I. To cut a long story short, I received a call in July from the police letting me know that my mother is missing. And you can imagine that was disturbing. She had isolated herself and kicked herself off from everybody, um, booted everybody out of her life. So where I had an aunt that was keeping track and letting me know what was going on behind the scenes, she booted that aunt out as well. There's been an extensive search in the UK for my mother um, and nothing to date has, has been fruitful. Um, the reason why the, the search is now extended to St. Lucia is because at her flat, which is um, concierge managed, they, in, the, in the concierge book, there was an undated note saying she's gone to St. Lucia to look after a family member. My mother's not capable of looking after herself um, so therefore, her going to look after a family member was rather strange to me. Another strange occurrence is that West Indians, when they travel, especially if they hold dual uh, nationality, dual citizenship, they travel with both their passports. And so my mother's British passports, which is here, says that she was last in the country in July 2019. 
um, which we find strange because if she does have a St. Lucian passport, she would have both passports with her. So currently investigations are going on with the St. Lucian embassy to identify whether she does have a St. Lucian passport. My mother comes from uh, the area of South Borsejou in, in St. Lucia um, and family members, uh, mainly on my father's side, nobody out there have, has seen her either, um, which is rather concerning. So it's, it's weird, Delia, in the sense that even though, you know, my mother's missing, it, it, and even though emotionally and mentally she's gone, her body is still here. And I just want to know where my mother is. So if anyone has any, any information, any sighting of her, please contact the St. Lucian police. Um, I'd be really appreciate that. My mother's name is Lillian John Baptiste. She's married to a man called Albany John Baptiste, and they live in this South Borsesu area. If anyone wants to call me in London, my number is plus 44-7908-172-884. That's plus 44-7908-172-884. Or contact the St. Lucian Police Direct. Um, they will contact um, us, me over here as well. Um, my mother is five foot, about five foot nine in height, uh, brown skin, big, big, big brown eyes, slim build. She's 75 years old. Um, she, the, her passport picture shows her wearing a wig. So, and she, you know, I would recommend that nobody approaches her because she can be very volatile. Um, but just call the police if you do see her. You've, you've stated the facts for us, but as a woman, as a mother, what are the feelings that get tied into knowing that your mom is out there and no one can find her? <laughs> the feelings are immense. Um, they can be hot and cold feelings, um, as metaphorically speaking. Mm -hmm. um, they can be feelings that some days I, I feel hopeful that my mother is um, somewhere and she is just, she had a relapse and she just doesn't know where she is and she's just in a home somewhere. And there's some days that I think to myself, well, mum, you haven't accessed your bank account for a very long time. How have you been living and are you still on the earth? So it, it, it totters along the lines of hope and hopelessness, hot and cold. Um, yeah, so of course, that's, you know, the metaphor that, that you chose. So if we're talking about the metaphor flowing hot and cold, you've mentioned it in many different ways since we've been talking. You've mentioned it, of course, now in terms of your feelings and also as a child. You know, the situation there was was like that, you know, one minute full of love and one minute was, wow, don't understand what's happening here. Is there any other way that that metaphor has, you know, taken some kind of hold in your life? I believe it really has. For me to have referred to it quite a few times now, I believe it has. Because as a child, my mother's love for us, my two brothers and I, my, um, there's my oldest brother, I'm the middle child and my younger brother who passed. My mother, when we were children, her love for us was hot. It was protective. It was caring. She couldn't do enough for us. And me being her only daughter, 
she ensured that I spoke properly, I dressed properly, I was mindful about female things as my body was changing. She was just so on it. I loved her wardrobe, her clothes, her costume jewelry. She was so stylish. I would have described her at the time as a cross between Diana Ross and Audrey Hepburn in relation to her elegance and style. She was amazing. And yet, this woman, this same, same beautiful, warm, elegant woman could manifest such cold, hard behavior, which would blind sign to you. And my brothers and I, we would be severely beaten if we dropped a glass. We would be shouted at um, for years. I did not like being called Amanda because my name was associated with having done something wrong. So when she would call me Mandy, that's when I knew she was hot with me. She was pleased with me. But the minute she said, Amanda, come here, I would get jittery and frightened and, and scared. And so, you know, it, it even went to my name, that way she, how she used my name was hot and cold. But when did you realize that the behavior of your mom wasn't normal type of behavior for, you know, mother and daughter and mother and sons? When we were children, before we were taken into care, because we didn't understand what was wrong, but we knew something was wrong because we couldn't understand why someone so loving could then be so harsh. So we were taken into a children's home at the age of 11. And sad to say, at that time, my mother would be in and out of mental institutions on average once a year, once every 18 months, something like that. But since she got married, oh my goodness, it just increased. And um, there were lots of things that we were being told that was happening to her, which aided her increased stays and the amount of time she would be admitted to hospital. So vividly remember 11 years old, um, knowing that something was wrong because I'm a 65 baby. And um, even though I was born in London, when I was the age of five, I went to St. Lucia and came back when I was nine. So for those two years when we came back, that's when we, that's when I even remember more so my mum being loving, but also being equally cruel um, at the flick of a coin, not flick of a coin, that's exaggerating, but soon after there'd be a, a behaviour, if we dropped something, if we made too much noise, you know, things that kids do that are just minimal, uh, we would get severely beaten for that, things like that. Do you think that life now is more caring towards people who have um, mental disabilities? Do you think that maybe your mom could have got some help with that when she was younger? I wouldn't say it was necessarily more caring. I think they know now how to medicate people more um, than necessarily care for them because when I was younger, mum was admitted to hospital a lot. She was. But what I find difficult to comprehend is someone having that degree of mental illness, it's not caring to put them in a flat to live by themselves with a, with a concierge at the front desk because you don't necessarily know what they're doing to themselves in that flat. And so I wouldn't say it was necessarily more caring. I think they just know how to medicate people more and they know where to place them. Because if you truly care, in my view, 
it's a case of you'd be more hands-on. And I do believe this country does have the resources to provide a higher level of care without so much medication, but it's where they put those funds. Hence, they've got the reason to say, oh, we haven't got the money for this or we haven't got the money for that. So let's just medicate them and put them care in the community and be done with it. To me, I don't think that's caring because it's not really understanding the need of the individual. Now you've spoken very openly about your family and about your mother's condition. How do you feel when her condition can be considered, up to this day, a stigma? People put nice names to it like mental wellness and mental unwellness. But how do you feel in terms of when you're talking to people? Are people more receptive to the, as we term it, mental unwellness or mental condition? Or is there still a stigma when it comes to people with uh, any type of paranoia? I, I don't think the stigma is as strong anymore because they've put a different tag on it. Um, because when we were children growing up, it was, oh, that person's a nutter, or that person is mental. It would be, and the word mental was said in a really derogatory way. Or that person's crazy or they're mad. Well, in this day and age, those terms are not used to describe a mentally ill person anymore. So by them putting mental health, mental ADHD, or um, those kind of pretty names on it, I think it's more palatable for people to accept that there is an issue with mental health now, whereas years ago it was seen more derogatory than it is now. Um, it's, it's equated with if you've got a physical disability. Um, that is not so much of a stigma either anymore, which I'm really happy about. Um, so I don't, I don't think the stigma is as bad because the, of the name change more than anything else. Now, you and I, we've known each other for a very, very long time. And it's a strange kind of knowing each other because we've kind of just linked for, a, you know, a couple of minutes or something, and then off we've gone on doing our different things, right? That is so true, Delia. It's really <laughs> strange because we, I think we've only met physically once. And yeah, maybe in Brixton, I think. Then yes, and we're in 2021. It must have been about 2014, something like that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but oh yeah, the connection is right because we've still managed to stay in touch even through COVID. That's right. You know, I've been following you, doing the things that you do. I know you've been doing um, writing, uh, commentary on uh, Carib Direct and other bits and pieces. So for our listeners, can you tell them a little bit more about who is Amanda Alexander? What, what is it you're up to? Okay, so um, I'm a TV media journalist. I write um, Christian TV content. I also write motivational and inspirational articles for Carib Direct. I run my own charity called Female Dignity, which is a charity dedicated to the empowerment of girls and women in developing countries by providing feminine products that they lack on a monthly basis, which prevents them from attending school and work. So um, our charity is heavily involved in that. Um, and I'm also a Mediterranean property consultant. Wow, that's a lot of things. But I have to say, I'm really interested in the foundation. How did that begin? That came about whilst I was on a film set um, 
uh, for a Sky show in 2015, it came to my attention that each month, um, girls and women in developing countries, they miss on average 12 weeks a year from school due to lack of feminine products. We women in the West, we, we've got a plethora of products that we can choose from. But unfortunately for these girls and women, um, every month they either have to use grass, um, newspapers, uh, stones. Some of them are even ostracized to a hut outside of their home because of the social stigma associated with menstruation. So when I heard that on the film set, it really broke my heart. Having a daughter of my own, I, I was very disturbed that in this day and age that these girls and women are going through that. And so it took a number of years for me to really get the vision down pat, which I'm pleased to say um, we have now. And that what we're doing as Female Dignity is providing machinery to established organisations in these developing countries that the locals in turn can manufacture using their raw materials to make uh, sanitary pads. So for instance, in Nigeria, the raw material is corn, corn husk, whereas in India, it's banana, banana um, uh, crop, the stem, the trunks. And so what we do, we, um, we um, on our website, we are fundraising to sell biodegradable sanitary products. So that is one way of raising funds to purchase this machinery, which will be then installed in these local towns and villages. And so we are providing um, employment. So there's economic empowerment. There's health empowerment through the education about puberty and menstruation. If they need a water well or a water pump, we do all those kind of things. And in the second year, what we would like these um, villages to do is to use a quarter of their second year profits to help fund another uh, machine in their local town. So um, that is the work of female dignity. That's what, we're, and I, that's what we're doing. And I'm really, really, really excited about it. Well, Amanda, I wish you all the best in finding your mom. And I really hope that anyone listening to this will remember that we are all, most of us are mothers, but we've all come from mothers. So please assist if you know anyone in St. Lucia, anyone in the UK who is St. Lucian, please let them know that this is happening. And Amanda is looking for her mom, Lillian. It will be such a wonderful thing to find out, no matter what the news is, to find out more than not know anything. Am I right in saying that, Amanda? Yes, you are, Delia. And thank you so much for putting the appeal out um, for my mother to be found um, one way or another. I'm just praying and hoping that God will lead us to where she is. So thank you, Delia, for putting the appeal out for my mother. Her name, again, is Lillian John Baptiste. If you have any information, please do not approach her, but contact the St. Lucian Police. Or you can contact me here on plus 44-7908-172-884. And also, listeners, you can get that information on our Facebook and Instagram pages on Metaphorically Speaking Delia. Amanda, thank you so much for your time and uh, all the best. And may God continue to give you strength and give you some wonderful news that your mother's been found. Thank you very much, Delia, for having me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Delia.
Thank you so much, Amanda, for your moving story. I feel like your experience has a place in the hearts of each and every one of us. What you're going through embodies perfectly the blowing hot and cold metaphor. Nowadays, blowing hot and cold can indeed apply to mental health issues. People we know happen to change because of mental illnesses, sometimes leading to very changing and unpredictable behaviours. However, our close ones need more than science. They need us, even when blowing hot and cold, even if they are distant or not able to recognise us. Inside, they are still the same person who once loved us unconditionally. And I say that because I have to deal with that with my mom every day. Her love for me, I'll never forget. The way her love made me feel, I'll never forget. But when I see her and I talk to her now, and I know that she doesn't know who I am, she doesn't know what's happening in her, her world, I still put a smile on my face because I still feel her love when she remembered me. And like people who are suffering in that way too, your family member, your friend, whoever it is who's suffering with a mental illness or like my mom with dementia and has forgotten about their love for us, the love that these people have given us, have made us what we are today. And our love is what helps them to stay strong through the difficulties that they live through. In the TV series Afterlife, the main character, Tony, often visits his sick father who lives in a nursing home. Even though mentally he is not fully there with him, they still love each other and Tony tries to be there no matter what. What's my name? Charity. Yep. How do you know me? Well, you, you come here sometimes. Yeah, I come here sometimes. You're my boy. You drew on the wallpaper, didn't you? I did, yeah. When I was seven. Can you remember that? <laughs> Your mum's furious. She was. Don't worry about it. Got a spare roll down the shed. I'll do it tomorrow. You did it already, Dad. You did it the next day. Yeah. I'll do it tomorrow. I love you, Dad. Gay. <laughs> As we've just heard, Tony's father is suffering from Alzheimer's, an illness not unknown to the elderly population. After age 65, the risk of one getting it doubles every five years to ultimately reach nearly one-third of those aged 85. However, mental health issues are not a fatality that will strike each and every one of us. It has been proven that brain diseases are closely linked to heart disease. Indeed, we might not automatically think about it, but the brain is nourished by one of the body's richest 
networks of blood vessels. And the heart is responsible for pumping blood through these blood vessels to the brain. There are many ways to take care of your heart. Practicing sports that improve your cardio, such as running, swimming, or skipping with a rope, are amazing ways to stay in shape. What happens in the kitchen is also necessary for good health. And some foods like blueberries, avocado, salmon, or olive oil keeps the doctor away. More than making delightful dishes, you can also create medicines for your loved ones. Oh, I just love my daughters when they come over and we get together and we cook and prepare meals together. It's healthy meals. When my oldest went to college, she came back with a different diet. Now what happens is if I do a meatloaf, it's turkey instead of ground beef. You know, I make spaghetti, I make chili, stuff like that. It's with turkey and chicken. We grew up, we ate pork. Um, we ate bacon, we ate a fresh shoulder, we ate pork chops. I did not think it was not healthy eating. Right. Because this is what we were accustomed to. I, I was in denial. I didn't want to face the fact that I was becoming a diabetic. As explored previously, historically, people haven't always been understanding in regards to mental illness. Throughout the ages, witchcraft or occult forces have been wrongly associated with mental health issues. Nowadays, it is important we grow more aware of people's issues. Even though medicine has gone a long way over the last century, each and every one of us should make the effort to educate ourselves and take care of those in need. Once again, it all goes back to love. Blowing hot and cold can also happen when you fall in love. You're casually living your life, but then you see them. Your heartbeat increases, your palms start sweating. Both your speech and gestures start getting clumsier. You might even lose your focus and behave the way you want this person to see you, which is sometimes not the way you are. And vice versa, you can actually behave in the way that you don't want the person to see you because that's not how you really are. But you just get nervous. You know what I mean? You don't fully understand what's happening, but it feels nice sometimes, most times. But above all, it kind of feels right. It reveals a version of ourselves we don't know how to handle properly. Love is that feeling that transcends space and time. It gives us strength, hope, and even the courage to go through difficult times. So listen to me when I say that love isn't something we invented. It's observable, powerful. It has to mean something. Love has meaning, yes. Social utility, social bonding, child rearing. We love people who have died. Where's the social utility in that? None. Maybe it means something more, something we can't yet understand. Maybe it's some evidence, some artifact of a higher dimension that we can't consciously perceive. I'm drawn across the universe to someone I haven't seen in a decade who I know is probably dead. Love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. Maybe we should trust that even if we can't understand it yet. Contrary to the popular beliefs and behaviors of the previous centuries, we should change our attitude towards the people who are said to be blowing hot and cold. A healthy life may prevent mental illness happening, but care, patience, and especially love can truly help us. The people who sometimes don't seem to remember us are the same ones who once showed us unconditional love.
Even if their memories seem to have faded away, their love for us hasn't, and it never will. Thanks for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. I must check out Afterlife. It sounds really interesting. Don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at colourful.com slash shows slash Delia or info at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk. We'd love you to share the show with your friends or leave a comment on colourful.com. You can also reach us via our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. But you know what? If you miss us here on Colourful, if you go to colourful.com, you'll see us there. The link is there so you can listen to it at any time. We depend on you to help us grow so that we can produce the best content for you to enjoy. So it's important if you have tiny moments to send a comment through Colourful or through info at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk so that we can continue to bring you shows that you enjoy. Join us for another metaphor next week. Please keep safe. Until next week, I'm Delia Delore. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Metaphorically Speaking, created by Delia Delore Productions, with original distribution by Colourful. This episode was hosted by Delia Delore and had segments written by Paul Ferretti. Script supervisor, Sabina Lauchopra Garcia. Production assistance and social media graphics by Odua Osemwenke. The final program was edited by Erica Izzy and Jonathan Woods and social media videos by Ernie Deneve.